In July, a slow and long-delayed process of a potential change was supposed to begin in Burma. The nation stipulated to be Myanmar by its long-time military overlords. The Union Election Commission, the UEC, revealed the number of constituencies which would be contested by candidates for the four levels of parliamentary representation in Burma's 2015 general election. There will be 330 constituencies for election of candidates to the lower House of Representatives and 168 constituencies for election to the upper House of Nationalities. Though this leaves out of account the additional 25% of all members, the 166 military members of the two houses who are appointed to them without any election and therefore without any constituency. In Burmese, the House of Representatives is known as the Pingdong Hoto, while the House of Nationalities is the Amyotia Hoto. I don't have got the pronunciation right. There are also 644 constituencies delineated for regional or state parliaments and 29 constituencies for national races in regional or state parliaments. The Election Commission also designated the procedures which international observers will have to follow in monitoring the election, which at least suggests that such observers will be invited after all. Following these announcements, November the 8th was set as the date for the general election, which, as The Economist magazine hopefully anticipated, will mark a defining moment in Myanmar's slow march away from military dictatorship and towards democracy. Now, it's been a very long, very slow and at times very painful march. After independence was achieved in 1948, Burma experienced only 14 years of admittedly not very productive democracy before General Nguyen carried out a coup in 1962, thereby establishing what became a 26-year military dictatorship. But, and perhaps more important, Nguyen also established what now amounts to a Burmese tradition, that of the military insisting upon a dominant role in Myanmar politics. After a brief hiatus, 1988 to 1990, this tradition has both been sustained, strengthened and enforced by the military junta led by General Tan Shui from 1988 to 2011. Incidentally, it's widely believed in Burma that Tan Shui's views still carry a lot of weight behind the scenes. The tradition of military dominance in Burmese politics was supposed to have been reduced and diminished, if not actually ended, by the ostensible return of civilian rule under President Payne Sein in 2011. But any such transition was easier for foreigners to imagine than it was for Burmese to actually achieve. Payne Sane well illustrates the difficulty. He became a member of the State Peace and Development Council, as the ruling junta called itself then, in the 1990s. He became first secretary of the junta in 2004, then became the junta's prime minister in October 2007. It was only in April 2010 that Payne Sane along with other junta officials, exchanged their military uniforms for civilian dress. 
Without missing a beat, civilian Tainsein helped to first organize and then to register the United Solidarity and Development Party, the USDP. That organization, not surprisingly, dominated the widely rigged 2010 general election. Anticipating the rigging, the National League for Democracy, the NLD, boycotted the election. So the so-called civilian USDP became the ruling majority party in Parliament. Yet the underlying reality that military dominance in Burmese politics is both being continued and sustained was underlined recently on August the 29th as the ostensibly civilian Myanmar government banned political parties from criticising either the army or the military-dominated constitution. Yet the underlying reality that military dominance in Burmese politics is both being continued and sustained was underlined recently on August the 29th as the ostensibly civilian Myanmar government banned political parties from criticising either the army or the military-dominated constitution in state media during the coming general election, which, of course, has been widely portrayed abroad as an important test of Burma's transition away from military rule. Instead, whether there will be any such transition at all is suggested by the new bans. These apply only to state media which does not enjoy a monopoly in Burma. But state media are particularly important in broadcasting at election time since they can reach most corners of the country. All political parties standing in the general election on November the 8th will be allowed to broadcast 15-minute speeches on state television and radio and publish them in state-owned newspapers, according to a statement issued by the Union Election Commission. But all such addresses and speeches will have to be vetted to see that they do not violate the rules. The rules clearly favour the military. Any statement that could have the effect of splitting the Tatmadaw, that's the collective name for the Myanmar Armed Forces, they're banned. So are any statements that can disgrace or damage the dignity of the armed forces. Political parties are also banned from disrespecting the 2008 Constitution, which reserves for the military that 25% of Parliament, those 166 appointed non-elected military MPs, which I mentioned earlier. Obviously, such loosely worded bans and restrictions are open to even more restrictive interpretation by the military censors. The ways in which the armed forces could feel damaged or disgraced are almost certainly endless. One former candidate recalled an earlier brush with Burmese military censorship, quote, Military intelligence changed some of the words of my speech with the result that the meaning of the speech was totally turned upside down, unquote. More important, after the long years of rule by military junta, there must be many criticisms that many Burmese would like to air on the hustings of the upcoming election. These news restrictions will almost certainly inhibit many of them from doing so. These regulations and restrictions are the latest indication that the Myanmar military are very far from giving up the degree of political control that they currently exercise.
In June, there were some even stronger signs of support for the status quo. On June the 25th, the Parliament voted to reject a proposal that would permit the current constitution, drafted under strong military influence in 2008, to be amended in future by a resolution backed by only 70% of the Parliament. The current requirement is that any change must be opposed by 75%. As already mentioned, 25% of the military members of Parliament are appointed, not elected. With those 25% appointees voting en bloc against the proposed changes to a 70% requirement, it was inevitably defeated. The military's continuing veto power over any possible constitutional reform was thus sustained. Indeed, that veto looks like remaining a constant constitutional feature. Also on June the 25th, the Parliament refused to amend a curious clause in the Myanmar's constitution which forbids anyone whose spouse or children have, quote, allegiance to a foreign power, unquote, from becoming president or vice president of Myanmar. This is, of course, a flat-out anti-Ong San Suu Kyi clause, since her late husband, Michael Aris, who died in 1999, and their two sons are British subjects. Hence, she remained permanently ineligible to become president or vice-president. The Myanmar Charter represents a unique example of a constitutional clause penalising only one particular citizen. So was Aung San Suu Kyi unwise to decide not to boycott the election this time around? Hardly. For a start, this year's general election is an indirect, not a direct election for President of Myanmar. All those elected to the House of Representatives and to the House of Nationalities can then vote for whoever is nominated for President after the election. Those elected can also vote to change the constitution when the new parliament sits. To boycott the election again, as in 2010, would be hard. It would risk gravely diminishing the long frustrated enthusiasm of NLD candidates and supporters. Additionally, when Aung San Suu Kyi decided to contest this year's election, she already knew that she had an ally in Tura Shui Man, the chairman of the ruling USDP, and the Speaker of the Parliament. It would appear that the two Houses of Parliament have only one Speaker. But her decision to contest the election came before what might be called the big event of Burma's election season so far and also before the public disclosure of her alliance with man. President Tain Sein and Speaker Tura Shui Man both served and rose to be generals in the Nguyen and then the Tan Shui military dictatorships. At what point they became rivals is not clear but it was probably when Tain Sein became president. Until very recently, he has all along insisted that he would not be seeking a second term, which gave Shui Man hope for his own elevation, though he hardly helped himself by often stressing Tainsane's presumed exit. What is interesting about Shui Man is that he obviously thinks outside the box. Unlike Nguyen and Tainsane, Shui Man 
obviously recognised Aung San Suu Kyi's political and electoral strength and sought to capitalise on it, in stark contrast to the generals who reacted to the NLD's sweeping victory in the 1990 general election by keeping Suu Kyi under house arrest for 21 years. Put it this way, Tain Sein had limited contact with Suu Kyi after releasing her from house arrest. His main motive then was to reduce U.S. sanctions on Burma. Shui Man has had much more contact with her as a politician interested in getting to know another politician and a potentially formidable adversary. And as he did this, Shui Man inevitably intensified his rivalry with Tain Sein. So what happened on the night of August the 12th at the USDP headquarters in the capital, Naypyidaw? Let me just quote the three opening paragraphs of an absorbing, in-depth investigation of that night by Reuters news agency. Quote, President Tainsein had tried and failed at least twice before to topple his arch-rival Shui Man, but when armed police burst into the headquarters of the country's ruling party late on August the 12th, he finally succeeded. Police piled the mobile phones and computers from those inside on a desk and then stood by as the president's supporters met to enact an order from the president to replace Shayman as the chairman of the Union Solidarity and Development Party, the USDP. By reasserting his grip on the party, Tensein boosted his own prospects of retaining the presidency while dampening optimism among those inside and outside Burner who hoped for quickening of reforms after an election in November. Unquote. Conveniently, Shui Man was not in the party headquarters that night. But contrary to expectations, Shui Man still retains his speaker's role. But overall, the most crucial question still remains. Can Aung San Suu Kyi now lead her national lead for democracy to another landslide victory? <laughs>